There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The rock band Lit performs live at the Let's Go Music Festival in Annapolis, Maryland on June 2nd through June 4th. I spoke to guitarist Jeremy Popoff about the band's journey from its California roots to recording the iconic hit My Own Worst Enemy. Hey, Jeremy Popoff. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP in DC. What's going on, brother? We're talking, obviously, you're the guitarist of the, the band Lit. Our listeners will know and love your stuff. Uh, but we're talking because you guys are coming to the Let's Go Music Fest in Annapolis, Maryland. It's a big lineup. I think day one is like live and collective soul. Day two is 311 and Cold War Kids and, of course, you guys. And then I think day three has some country artists like Chris Young and Kit Moore and stuff. But how exciting is it to share a stage with all these bands? Do you have to change the set list when there's so many of you, you know, shuffling on and off? Or, you know, how does that work? Yeah, I mean bunch of great bands on this festival we've done shows with all of them pretty much over the years and so it's going to be you know a bunch of good buddies getting together for a good time and uh even the country guys i mean i know all those guys you just mentioned too so we, you know we live here in nashville so i'm sure we'll run into them the night before when they're all getting in and yeah man it's, it's uh it's what we do it's fun i love it i love it well we in, encourage everyone to go check out the festival. Um, it's it's relatively new in Annapolis, so everybody check it out. Such a great lineup. Uh, but whenever I have someone on, I always love to sort of hear your, you know, rock superhero origin stories. <laughs> so I know you were born in, uh, what, 71 out in, what, Orange County, California. Like, what did you listen to growing up? What were, like, the the rock staples or, or any other genre, really, that 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 sort of influenced you from the start? Man, we we grew up in kind of a musical family. Uh, our our grandfather was a musician, and he was kind of our early childhood influence. He played drums and organ and sang. And our uh, AJ and I's uh, our dad was a radio DJ at a, a top forty radio station in LA. So we were just exposed by pop music and rock music, and you know, big band jazz and standards and. Um, you know, when in the seventies, not to date ourselves here, but uh, <laughs> when we were little kids, you know, back in those days, uh, you know, top 40, the format top 40 truly was the top 40 most popular songs in the country at that time. So, you know, we would listen to our dad on the radio and we would hear, you know, Tom Petty, we would hear Boston, we would hear Donna Summer, we would hear, Fleetwood Mac, we would hear Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, all these different things. And, and it, it wasn't compartmentalized in, in, in genres that it was just like, I like that song, uh, whatever on that song. But, and you just, we were just exposed to all of that. And then probably when we were about nine, I was nine, AJ was seven. That was when we went to our first concert, which was Iron Maiden and uh, mm-hmm. opening for UFO in Long Beach. And uh, that was the day our life changed forever because that was the, 
first time we saw a rock band on a live stage and just the how loud it was and our ears were ringing and, and just, you know, seeing the guys on stage just rocking out. And literally we woke up the next day and both of us were on the same page. We were like, yep, that's what we want to do when we grow up. That's it. And it Iron, never changed. Iron Maiden is the one that did it. I love it. I yeah. love it. So I know, I mean, you mentioned your brother, um, AJ, who, you know, would do lead vocals in Lit eventually. Uh, but di didn't you guys start in, in like Razzle or something? But <laughs> take me back to those early days and how did you sort of form Lit there and play the Troubadour and, you know, the rest is history? Well, when we were kids uh, growing up in Orange County, there was a real stigma with Orange County music. It, you, you had to pretend you were from Hollywood. If you if you wanted to get a gig and you know be taken seriously, they they actually used to call it the, the orange curtain. And oh. so band, bands, you know, this is before websites and social media. We would we would have these like call in hotlines and we'd record these, you know, hey, what's up? It's it's Razzle and you know <laughs> we're playing next Friday. And it was like these, um, <clears throat> but a lot of bands would get fake area codes, you know, to make it look like they were an LA band, but. Wow. Places like the Troubadour, the Whiskey, Gazaris, all those Sunset Strip, Hollywood places, they were the only clubs that would allow all ages. So in high school, we would get, you would rent a couple of party buses and load up a hundred of our friends. And uh, and that was kind of how we started that, you know? So the the those clubs, we didn't realize how legendary those clubs were until years later, you know, that so many people got their start at the Troubadour. What a What an iconic venue that was. But when we were 15, 16, 17, it was just a place we could play and have our friends come out, you know? that's Hey, that's just my hometown club. You didn't know there was like <laughs> like world famous right in your backyard. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, then take me into getting signed for that first album, Tripping the Light. Fantastic. Love that title. So catchy. That was in 97. <clears throat> it was released. Uh, talk about just sort of putting that together. And like, I, it was more of like a what? Like a, a punk. I was still punk, but it was like grunge, heavy metal-ish something, you know, compared to maybe the more alternative or power punk, punk rock, whatever you want to call the later stuff. Like, just take me into sort of the early days, finding the sound and the genre on that first album. Well, we were... Um... Yeah, so unfortunately, like if you look us up on Wikipedia, anyone can go in there and add stuff to that. Well, we've never figured <laughs> out how to, we've never figured out how to fix it. So a lot of the historical facts are kind of not all that true. At least the early days, there's a lot of speculation out there. But we just sort of leave it alone because it's kind of funny. But um, give me the real story from your <laughs> mouth. <laughs> I mean, basically, you know, we we were a, a, a long haired rock and roll teenage Sunset Strip band called Razzle when we were kids in high school. And then um, we were also learning how to do what we did. We were learning how to play our instruments. We were learning how to be a band. We were learning how to write songs. And we were growing as we were, and we were getting, you know, going into being adults too, you know? And, and um, so a lot of changes gone. I mean, you, you, if you can remember your years between 17 and 24, like how much growing and changing you did during that time. Oh, yeah. And we were getting influenced by all this new great music, you know, the 90s grunge, Stone Temple Pilots and Nirvana and Alice in Chains and um, you such know, good stuff. I love that era. Yeah, man. And we were influenced by that. So even though we were kind of coming off the heels of this sort of late 80s, early 90s kind of hair metal thing, which we love, we still love. Um, but we were learning that our musical tastes were, were evolving and growing, whatever. So long story short, we kind of ditched all, we were selling out places as Razzle. We were selling out all those Hollywood clubs and we were a pretty popular local band. 
we ditched all of it. And we, we, we ditched our mailing list. We ditched our contacts at clubs. We went off the grid for like six months and just focused on, on a new batch of songs. And then we literally just started cold calling crappy bars, you know, in anywhere from San Diego to Fresno. And we would just be like, we'll come play for, you know, two drink tickets each, you know, on a shitty Tuesday night, you yeah. know, and uh, one of those shitty Tuesday nights that we played in front of 10 people in San Diego, two of the 10 people happened to be these two A&R guys for delicious vinyl. Nice. And, um, and they approached us afterwards and they said, man, we love, we love what we saw. We'd like to, you know, we'd like to check into more of this. We've got this label and blah, blah, blah. And it turned into that first independent deal with delicious vinyl, which was a, a hip hop label. You know, they had tone Loke and young MC and the far side. And, um, but it was sort of our first taste of, going to an office building in Hollywood and actually, you know, signing a contract or whatever. But um, yeah, that record was definitely a uh, kind of a crossroads. It was us just, it's very experimental. It's all over the place. There's elements of a place in the sun, but there's also elements of just angry, you know, heavy <laughs> grungy kind of stuff, but it was, really just us figuring it out, you know, and then a place in the sun was kind of that aha moment where, you know, we did some touring, we did some, we were writing constantly and doing all this stuff. And we, we, we were finding this sort of vibe that was resonating with uh, crowds and, and, and with us more importantly, it was, it, we, we kind of stumbled into this thing that we were like, this is what we want to be. This is what we're about. And that's what a place in the sun was, you know, we, we signed with RCA records and, late 98 that record was completely written and demoed and done you know when we just went we literally signed the paper went right into the studio came out of the studio went right on the radio went right on tour and never came home <laughs> no so. looking back i mean that was that that album was it blew up a place in the sun i guess 99 it came out you recorded in 98 uh i think it went platinum i mean it, it was it was massive it was massive did you i was always curious because I'm a, I'm a big movie buff did you guys had you seen the george stevens the 1951 movie a place in the sun or where'd the title come from it's a great movie <laughs> I've never seen that movie. I gotta look that up. Look uh, it up. It's great. Mon Montgomery Clift, Elizabeth Taylor, Shelley Winters. It's, it's really good. It's the director that did Shane and uh, Giant and all those movies. But yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got it um, off of the. Uh, actually, I have a tattoo of it. But the the Sands Hotel that Sinatra and the Rat Pack used to play at. And on the marquee of the sands, it said "A Place in the Sun." Ah, so, okay, okay. Well, yeah, no, his 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 uh, that director's son went on to found the American Film Institute and the Kennedy Center Honors and all that. So yeah, look look him up. You guys could maybe wow. have some some bizarre crossover there with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Bradley Trainer, and I'm Don McLean. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like this: A list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out pretty sure that's j-lo and p.s the person behind all of this is chris jenner llc we drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends blinded by the item listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the blinded by the item youtube channel awesome well anyway what well, my listeners will kill me if i go too much into the title we got to go into my own words enemy i mean uh, that song was huge i think it topped the modern rock chart for like 11 weeks or something crazy um 
two-parter for you. A, you know, lyrically, it's just obviously it's about, you know, regrets from the night before, drunken antics and <laughs> all that stuff. But B, also, I want to know, you're the guitarist. I also want to know about, you know, how you came up with that that opening guitar riff that sort of just hits us in the face. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Um, I, I just, it's two, it's the riff is two notes or it's a note and a half. You know, it's like a... Um, and it was just something I was jamming on one night. I was going through this phase where I was really fascinated with, uh, with simplicity when it came to guitar parts and riffs and solos and stuff. Um, I was really, I, I was really like fascinated with songs like, um, um, like magic man from heart. You know, you talk about movies we were big movie fans. And in a way, a lot of those old Tarantino movies and, and Scorsese movies were, were as influential on us in that period of our life as music was, you know, and the soundtracks became the soundtrack, you know, you'd, you'd, yeah. you'd put on Bronx Tale on a Saturday on repeat and just because you're listening to the music that was playing in the background, you know? Oh yeah. Um, but that moment of like in, in swingers where they pull up to that mobile home and yeah. heart magic man is playing and just that, that feeling that you get. And I was like, God, that riff is just like, Gung gunk, gung gung gunk, gung gung gunk, and then um, and, and then were, they, even before that, it's like dun dun. Yeah, there's yeah, like a yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah, coming, yeah. and then it just happens, and then you're in that you're in that you're in. with those two chicks, you know, and it's it's awesome, but it's awkward and all this, and I, I was really kind of chasing down that simplicity, and and so I was just writing these really basic riffs to see if I could do that. Um, AJ had a, a couple of lyrics scribbled down on a scratch pad in his car. And it, that song really kind of came, <laughs> it, it wrote itself in about 12 minutes. And, um, you know, I've told this story many times, but we have a tendency to, we'll, we'll write a song. We won't usually finish it. I mean, unless we're really into it, but a lot of times we'll leave it sort of like, okay, well, let's move on to the next one. And then we'll go back when we record it and we'll fine tune it. We'll tweak the lyrics. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll mess with it a little bit. And I really believe that those lyrics in that song were, were space holder words. They were very <laughs> conversational, nothing rhymed, nothing really, uh, it, it kind of broke all the rules of songwriting. And if I know us, I know we were planning on getting into the studio and fixing a lot of those words, but the song kind of took off from out from under us. It, it, it took on a life of its own right out of the gate. And then next thing you know, it was on the radio. And the next thing you know, it was, a, you know, like you said, it was number one hit for the entire summer. So I guess we should probably stop messing with our lyrics and just go with what comes first. Cause that's, <laughs> that, worked <laughs> that worked out pretty good. Yes. I, well, I'm glad you didn't touch the lyrics. Cause you know, for someone that I was coming of age, you know, you were listening to Boston and all that, but I was coming to, of age with you guys listening to that. And there's, you know, that my favorite line I think is, you know, cause every now and then I kick the living blank out of me. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Uh, but yes, hats off about the um, the uh, the guitar riff. The -na 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 -na. I mean, yeah, you, can go to, you can go to bars. Cover bands still play that to this day, man. People freak out. Um, all right. Well, you know, we we don't have all day, but, you know, Miserable was on that album and Ziploc was on that album. I think Twisted Sister and Blink-182 in the video, like so many good memories for everybody. But um, moving ahead to that third album, Atomic, in 2001, I think it's it did pretty well, like 36 on the album, Billboard albums, I think. Lipstick and Bruises was on there. Um, but I think I stumbled upon something. Was your tour for that supposed to start like literally on 9-11? 
Yeah. The first night of the tour was in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey at the Birch Hill Nightclub. And uh, so it was our first real, um, I mean, we had toured relentlessly up until then, but this was like the first big production tour. We had, you know, big crew out with us. We had a semi truck. We had a bunch of cool stuff and we were, we were out there, man. It was starting in New York and, um, and then, you know, of course, and my birthday is 9-11. And so we had gone out the night before to, to celebrate my birthday in uh, in Manhattan. And then and normally the band would stay in the city and the crew would stay across in Jersey because it was easier to park the bus and truck and all that. And for some reason that night, like three or four in the morning, we went back to Jersey to be with the buses and the crew and uh, for the first day of the tour. And then, you know, 9-11 happened. So the... Um, it's actually a trip just recently a couple people have shared on social media. Like there's a few people out there that still have the ticket stub wow. from that show that, you know, never got used or the, and well, I've been dying to find a poster for it. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a crazy time. And, and that record, you know, lit fans, uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, Weezer's Pinkerton album, you know, it's like the, one of those fan favorite albums that is a great record. It just kind of got, anything that could happen and obviously 9-11 happened to all of us and it was a it was a yeah a, you know such a crazy moment in history for us but um aside from all that just the, what happened after that was really any any curveball that could get thrown out a rock and roll band um was thrown at us you know the the record company got a new president and the our A&R guy went to another label and then this guy went over here and this happened and then you got the travel all these different things it was like it was it was a the record should have gotten a lot more attention than it did but the world just had a lot of a lot of stuff on its plate at that point so um but you know it is what it is it, it's if people haven't heard it, it you know it's if you like a place in the sun it's a great follow-up album to that um i i think the record that we just put out last summer um tastes like gold i think that's also a very that album could have easily come out between A Place in the Sun and Atomic. It has the same huh. themes and the same um, vibes and stuff. And uh, But yeah, man. There you go. Yeah, well, everyone check out the new one. And of course, go back. And if you if you missed Atomic and all the crazy hectic, hecticness of 9-11 and, and the aftermath, go back and, and check that out. Uh, like all the hardcore fans, like you said, it's one of the fan favorite, like I guess uh, cult favorites of the of actual hardcore fans. Um, and you mentioned curveballs. You got like your biggest one and, and saddest one, you know, after the fourth album, Lit 2004, the self-titled one, because, you know, you lost your drummer, Alan Schellenberger. What was it? Brain cancer, I think, in 2000. Yeah. So um, do you sort of does that album, does that sort of hold a special bittersweet place in your heart as the last time, you know, your the original lineup was together? <clears throat> it it does for for um, for that reason and a lot of other reasons, too, there that particular period of time in our lives was very uh you know aj and i had small kids you know they were like two and three at the time <clears throat> i was going through a divorce you know our parents were in act it was all these like, big huge real life things that were happening during that record and, and just right after it and then um and then of course alan getting sick was completely out of the blue completely out of left field, you know, he was like the most healthy, uh, he was athletic, you know, he never drank before a show. He never smoked mm -hmm. a cigarette in his life. Just, he was just a solid dude that, that, you know, 
it, you know, if you would put us in a lineup and say, guess which one of you guys is going to get this? It would, right. wouldn't have ever been him, you know, but, um, but yeah. And, 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 and not only does it kind of remind me of that time and which is bittersweet because we got through that time and we came out stronger, but um, I really think that's such a great record. Um, we produced it ourselves. We didn't know that we were producing it ourselves. We were just, we were making these demos that became the record and, we, and it was kind of, we were like, man, we can actually, not only, we can do this ourselves. Like we, we don't need to go to a, a, an expensive recording studio for a month in, in North Hollywood. You know, we, we found this great little spot in Orange County and this great engineer. And we just were going to work every day. And we, you know, one day we just sort of sat back and we were like, shit, I think we have a, I think we have an album. <laughs> I think our album's done, <clears throat> which is kind of cool. But um, yeah. Well, we're I'm glad and all your fans, I'm sure we're glad that the band was able to pick, you know, pick yourselves up and regroup after all those those um, tragedies and curveballs that you mentioned. Um, and, you know, and you were able to then give us the view from the bottom in 2012. These are the days in 2017. And then the one you mentioned most recently, Tastes Like Gold in 2022. Uh, I assume we'll hear hits and, and deep cuts and stuff, you know, songs from all of them uh, at the festival. If people come out uh, to Annapolis, the Let's Go Music Fest on June 2nd through fourth uh anything you want to say uh before we hop off just to you know tell our listeners to come on out yeah well we're looking forward to seeing y'all out there it's gonna be a lot of fun a lot of great bands and we're gonna bring it and um yeah and in, in between now and then go do some listening check us out on the instas and the whatever you use on your phone there we're a lit band official at everything and um yeah check out some of the new tunes and we'll probably we'll be playing a little bit of everything so we're looking forward to it Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you joining us on WTOP. Jeremy Popoff, guitarist of the band Lit, again, at the Let's Go Music Fest in Annapolis, Maryland on June 2nd and through the 4th. Actually, you guys will be the day to June 3rd. So, But check everyone out. It's going to be a fun weekend. Hey, thanks so much. Right on, brother. Appreciate you, man. See you soon. Love it. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.